All right, how's everybody doing? Good. <clears throat> uh, before we get into the Word, I, I wanted to uh, briefly um, talk about our Foundations Conference that's coming up. It is February 28th and 29th. Now, there's not going to be too many more opportunities in the near future for us to have one on February 29th, so this year it's extra special, okay? February 28th and 29th, it's a Friday night and a Saturday. Our Foundations Conference um, basically brings in different uh, pastors and speakers from the area to hit on a certain particular topic. This year, our theme is discipleship, so it goes along with the book that we're going through in our life groups, and really, um, we want to have like what I would consider like continuity or uh, congruency. So if you think back to our life groups and the different books we've been going through, we started with uh, conversion, um, then we looked at the gospel, and then what was the book that we just finished in our life groups? Missions. And um, then we are going to discipleship. So there's kind of a, a little flow, right? You've got to have conversion with the gospel. Gospel should lead us to being missions-oriented, and then as we're doing that, what are we doing? We're making disciples, right? So we thought it would be good with our Foundations Conference this year uh, to focus on discipleship. One of the things that um, I believe is important for us as a church, I think it's just good for us. I mean, once a year, let's set aside a couple days and let's get together for fellowship. Let's get together for some amazing teaching. Let's get together for some worship and come together and have a good time. We have about, usually, I think about five or six speakers, and we kind of spread it out. So it's not like a jam-packed a speaker every 45 minutes. We actually built in a little bit of, of buffer time in there, so everyone doesn't kind of feel rushed, so there's not like information overload, and so there's time for people to hang out um, and kind of interact and have some fellowship with one another. Uh, we, have, we usually have a, a nice lunch. We'll have El Tio Pepe catering this year for us. For lunch, we'll have some good snacks Friday and, uh, and on Saturday as well. And this year, actually, uh, for the first time ever, we're going to make it free. So we don't want cost to hold anybody back. Um, we'll probably take some donations at the end or something like that. But anyway, um, we want to encourage everyone at Liberty uh, to come to that. And we'll have babysitting provided. We'll have that. And I think you're going to be very blessed uh, learning more about this topic and be encouraged uh, especially as we're going through our life group and also learning about it and thinking about what does discipleship look like for me, what does discipleship look like for us at Liberty. Sound like a plan? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So you can sign up for that as well in the uh, Planning Center app. All right. Turn, if you will, to First Thessalonians chapter 1. As I mentioned at the end of last year, I'm going to be preaching through First Thessalonians uh, for this uh, coming, at least, season in Liberty's life. I'm excited for us to dig into this book. I feel like, actually, it's kind of um, First and Second Thessalonians, it's kind of like forgotten books. I think we can get focused on Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We can dig into Romans, uh, First and... Uh, Second Corinthians as well, and then it's kind of like, oh, what's what's up with First and Second Thessalonians? So, we're going to be uh, studying First Thessalonians. I encourage you; you will get um, much more out of it if you're reading through it uh, with me, not just popping in each week and, and figuring out where we're at. But really, it's such a short book; uh, you could read through it in just one sitting, uh, relatively quickly. 
So I encourage you at least at least camp out in the first couple of chapters as we're going through it these next few weeks. Let's start in 1 Thessalonians 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, we're going to start with verse 1 today, and you might think, wow, is there really much there? Well, I hope to show you that there actually is quite a bit there. Before we get into it, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've revealed it to us and that we can learn from it, we can see it, we can see who you are. God, let us have ears to hear today. Let us have, Lord, hearts to receive from you. We want to be people who are your people. We want to be people who hear from you and then put it into action. Lord, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. We ask, God, that you would uh, go before us now and prepare a way for us to follow after you. We thank you that by your spirit, that is possible. Lord, would you do your work in us and through us for your glory. Amen. Okay, so what do we know about Thessalonica? Just a little bit of background information. Uh, It was established in the 4th century B.C. by one of Alexander the Great's generals. And he named it after his wife. Yeah, you know, nice little token thing for him to do. Uh, It occupied a strategic position uh, of where it was situated. It had a good natural harbor, for it was actually a good place uh, for the Romans uh, for defensive reasons and offensive reasons uh, regarding military practices to use that. It also was part of what's called the, uh, we would pronounce it the Via Ignatia in English. It was just a road, like the major road. It'd be like our highways today, but they just had like one or two of them. It was a major road that went right through Thessalonica. So it was a good position if you wanted to do any type of trade, um, ships would be coming in, any type of selling, perfect spot. That's our situation with Thessalonica. About when was it written? About 50, 51 AD. Um, Archaeology can help us get there, some ancient history outside the Bible can help us get there, and then just some number crunching from within the Bible can get us to uh, around 50, 51 A.D. We'll look at that more uh, in the future. But I want us to see something in this first verse alone, that there's much we can learn and grow from. Let's read it again because it's such a short thing. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Now, I'm going to make three points to you today. The first is build the foundations. Build the foundations. And I want, to, I want to encourage us with something, and it's this. We are relational creatures. We are relational creatures. We were created for relationship. Created for a relationship with God, and then actually created for a relationship with one another. Now, think about this. This makes sense. In light of the Trinity, God's first experience with a person was himself. So he didn't create man and say, 
oh, finally, someone to talk to. Okay? Now, maybe that's what Eve said when she was created. <laughs> but it's not what God said when he created man. Why? Because when you think about the Trinity, there are three members of the Trinity, three people, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were in fellowship for all eternity past. So they had that relationship. God created us, not because he was lonely, not because he needed fellowship. He created us for his own glory, and he wants us to have relationship with him, and he wants us to have a relationship with one another. Now, the very fact that Paul is writing the letter communicates that Paul and the Thessalonians, they have some type of relationship, some type of relationship. And as we're going to learn... Um, he's, he's already been there on a missionary journey, and he's checking back with them. Now, if you had established a church or maybe went on a missionary journey yourself, you can go, hey, you can go on our mission trip to Belize, right? Uh, when you do that, uh, do you think you would check back in with the church maybe in, what, years? No, that'd be quite a long time. Okay, maybe weeks or months. And that's really what Paul is doing here. He's checking back in with the... Thessalonians, he's got a report, so he's, he's writing back to them because he's heard a couple different things. He wants to really primarily, if you read the whole book, you're going to come away with a couple things. One, he he's wants to encourage them. Two, he wants to set um, things straight a little bit on theology, specifically eschatology. Okay, that's just the fancy word for end times stuff. That's what he gets into in chapter 4, chapter 5. <clears throat> and then he wants to make sure that they know that what they're doing is they're on the right track in terms of their relationship with God. Here's what I want us to think about. I hope all of you here spend regular time in the Word of God because it's good for you. And each letter of the New Testament reveals something to us about God. Think about that for a second. Each letter of the New Testament reveals something to us about God. Now, it might expand on something that another letter mentioned. It might repeat it. But each letter can be studied to understand better who God is. It might be his nature, his purpose, his will, his decrees, his covenants. And I don't know about you, but I want to know God. You want to know God? And I want to know everything that God has revealed to his people. Do you want to know everything that God has revealed to his people? Okay, well, I do. And it's right here in his word. And every letter, okay, Jesus says when he's talking in the Sermon on the Mount, every jot and tittle, he was talking about the Hebrew language, which has literally jots and tittles. But every letter for us, God has inspired this word. Okay, there's no, there's no paraphrase, there's no thought. Every single letter, if he wanted a letter there, boom, it's there. If he didn't want a letter there, not going to be there. So we can have great confidence when we come to the Word that it is exactly what God has revealed for us. Not just 2,000 years ago, but for today. His Word is timeless. And listen to this. If He's taken the time to reveal it, then guess what? It must be important. It must be important. He's not just going to reveal stuff just for, for revealing's sake. No, it's, it's important for us to know. Why? He wants us to take what he's revealed and he wants us to imbibe it. He wants us to be immersed in whatever truth that much, might, 
whatever truth that might be. It might be what we think is like, I don't know, a small truth. It might be a big truth, but it is truth, and God wants us to take it in. So God doesn't just reveal things flippantly or just for fun or because it seemed cool. So anytime we come to any letter, First Thessalonians included, we come seeking to deepen our relationship with the triune God. And each letter shows us God. That's why, friends, family, when you're hearing the word preached, the Lord is communicating to you and to you and to you some key aspect of who he is, some key attribute of who he is. The question is, are you going to see it? Will you have eyes to see? Will you have ears to hear? Will you have wisdom and discernment to see that? God wants you to get something today from this message about him. So I want us to build the foundations, build the foundations of our faith. In 1 Corinthians 3, this is what Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. So each of us, we've got a foundation. We need to build a foundation of faith in God and his son, Christ Jesus. So for us, for the next few months, First Thessalonians is, is part of that foundation. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when everything was going on with Iran and Iraq and everyone was talking about World War III possibly happening, uh, my daughter, who's just in sixth grade, came up and asked me, are we, are, is like World War III getting ready to start? And I was like, where'd you hear that from? <laughs> like, I hadn't mentioned World War III in my house at all, all right? <clears throat> Here's the thing. I felt like the Lord spoke to me at that moment. Like, our, our kids are going to receive things from all sorts of sources and influences. What's going to be the filter from what they're receiving? All right? What's going to be the thing that helps them understand reality? What does she need? Well, she needs to hear the voice of her father echoing through her mind and her thoughts. That's what she needs. And how does that best happen? Well, it happens through repeated exposure to the truth. You know, I mean, <clears throat> there's how many books are in the New Testament? 27. 27. It's not, I mean, it, it, it can take you a while to read through this, right? Actually, I think if you, if you do the math, you can make it through. If you just read about 15, 20 minutes a day, you can make it through in a year. It's not a super lot. There's a reason we got to spend time in the Word, though. It's not just like you read it and it's like a school assignment and you read the book and you, you, you make your way through it and then you're done and you can move on. We need to spend time in it because we need to be reminded of these things. And we need the Father's words echoing through our minds and our hearts. That's what we need so that we have the word of God, his very words, as the filter for us. So just like my daughter needs that in her life and her dad helping her navigate those things, like we're children of God. So we need our Father navigating that. Don't think you're so wise to not need the Father's words. 
to not need to be immersed in it. So we're building foundations here, the foundations of our faith, and this must be intentional. You don't just throw grass seed down and, and grass just pops up. I mean, you might get some seeds, right? But you ain't going to get luscious, green, thriving grass. I've tried just throwing grass seed down. It's not, it doesn't work, all right? But guess what? When I take the time to prep the soil, when I take time to water the seeds, to nourish the seeds, put some fertilizer down, the results are amazing. So we've got to build foundations. We've got to do it wisely. We've got to do it properly. It starts by founding it on this word of God. So my second point here is, is take ownership. I want you to notice something of how he addresses the church. It is the church of the Thessalonians. What's the big deal about that, you say? Well, let me tell you. Only here, and in Second Thessalonians, does he speak of the people, the church of the Thessalonians, rather than the city, like those in Rome or those in Colossae. Listen to a couple of greetings that Paul writes in other letters. To the church of God in Corinth. To God's holy people in Colossae, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, to the churches in Galatia, to God's holy people in Ephesus. But notice here, what does he say? The church of the Thessalonians. Not the church in, not the church at, but the church of. Why? because he wanted to emphasize something to this fledgling church. And what was that? That it was their church. Take ownership. It was their church, the church of the Thessalonians. God had planted these people right in Thessalonica. He had saved them. He had grabbed them from sin and despair. And now he had a planted in a church, but it wasn't just any church. It was their church. And guess what, friends? The same is true for us. Like, this is your church. This is your church. Take ownership. Your church. It's not just in your city. It's not just some social club you go to. No, it's your church. And God has planted you here, so you take ownership in your church. It's your church. Your church, listen to me here, your church will be as good as you want it to be. Okay? Many people get frustrated with their church. <clears throat> you, you can be a change agent in your church. You can help shape the culture of your church. Think of what Paul talks about, 1 Corinthians 12. For the body does not consist of one member, but what? Of many. Many members one body. So you play a part in the church. So first, make sure you're playing a part in the church. Like God has gifted each person here, if you're a believer, God's gifted you. You have some gifting from him. Not just to use selfishly on yourself, but to bless others, to build up the church, to minister to the unchurched, to reach people for Christ. You have some gifting that he wants you to use in the context of the local church. So second, play that part well. Play your role well. Whether you're the hand, the foot, 
It doesn't matter. The eye, the head, whatever, play the role well. Many members, but one body. Third, I want to encourage us to dwell in God's presence. Dwell in his presence. Look back at 1 Thessalonians. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, Paul's saying something here. He's denoting a relationship that the Thessalonians have with God and with Jesus. Now here's the thing. <clears throat> if you've read your New Testament, and I know many of you have, what do you see a whole lot when it talks about in? You see in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It probably occurs like at least 75 times, if not more, in the New Testament. In Christ, in Christ. It's a beautiful thing if you fully and truly and really understand what it's talking about. At its heart is our unity and our union with Christ. But guess what you don't see? You don't really see in God. Only here, and again, 2 Thessalonians you see him address them and refer to them as being in God. Now here it says in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Normally, as I've mentioned before, when you see God mentioned in the New Testament, it usually refers to the Father. When you see Lord used, it usually refers to the Son. Here it's pretty clear because it says God, and then it says the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Paul trying to get across here. What is God wanting us to see? Well, he wants us to take ownership of our church. He wants us reminded that ultimately it's his church. It is his church in God. Think about what it says in Acts 17.28. It says, for in him, talking about God, we live and move and have our being. I mean, everything we're doing. Everything we're doing. And when, when Paul's speaking in Acts, he's really even applying it to unbelievers. Like, whatever they do, ultimately, it's like because God's, like, set up this world, and they're acting and reacting and doing things in his world. So here, when it comes to church, yes, take ownership, and it is your church, but guess what? Ultimately, it's God's church. And how are you going to act and serve and be in God's church. Now, most people know like a few Greek words. Ekklesia. What's that mean? Hey, good job. All right. Agape. Love. Koinonia. Okay. That's probably about where it ends for many of you. That's all right. But that Greek word, ekklesia, church, it originally... Uh, you actually, when you read literature, even before the New Testament was written, you'll see that word ecclesia used. It was originally used when it was talking about assemblies of people. There's an assembly of people over here. There's an assembly of people over here. Not even in any type of church context. Just like a normal meeting. You know, you got the Kiwanis assembly over here. <clears throat> you got this group meeting over there. So an assembly. But God wants to emphasize something to us today. There were many assemblies in Thessalonica. A little different meetings going on, a little different assemblies, but only one was from God himself. 
to the church, to the assembly of the Thessalonians in God the Father. And there were many assemblies at the time in Thessalonica, but only one was considered the blood-bought bride of Christ. And there were many assemblies at the time in Thessalonica, but only one was chosen by God to have people called his children. There was only one assembly of the Thessalonians that was truly in God, and that's the one that Paul's writing to. Friends, what about us? There's different assemblies and groups we can belong to, but there's one church that we belong to. One church. We've got the universal church, of course, right? But then God calls us to belong to a local church, to plug in there, to get involved, to take the ownership, to realize that it's God's church. We're privileged to be a part of it. It is his bride. And he says, come on in to everybody. And when it comes to us, God, other believers, we have to remember something about the church. This is not the church of the personal preference. I mean, I have my preferences and so do you. If you change churches for personal preference, you're going to be changing churches your whole life. Because your, your preferences will change. Your tastes will change. Your interests will change. Your likes and dislikes. There's good reasons to change churches. Don't get me wrong. But listen, friends, we're, we're shaping a church here, each one of us. Does this church look exactly like how I want it to look? No, and it really shouldn't. Am I helping shape it? Well, I hope so. But it start, should start to look like what it looks like when we come together and we're all corporately together seeking God. And that's that idea we've talked about of gospel culture. Like, What does it look like when believers come together and truly love God? And what does that culture look like to other believers and to the dying world. But it's not about our our preference. Collectively, we shape a culture. That culture must reflect the majesty and beauty of God himself. Amen? This is the church in God. Now, here's the thing. We are not a fictive family. We're not a make-believe family. We truly are family. I mean, look at the person in front of you or behind you and say, we truly are family. (laughs) Now, some of you are a little bit nervous. You're like, we truly are family? Okay, I get you, all right? I can see everybody from up here. (laughs) But yes, seriously, we truly are family family. And now the question is, do we believe that? Because guess what? I mean, family, they're going to have squabbles. They're going to have challenges. They're going to have issues. They're going to have that weird uncle that always shows up on Thanksgiving. All right? But we don't want a homogenous church. We don't want a church that looks exactly the same. We don't want a church that has all the same type of people. That's not what God brought together. I mean, think about Ephesians. He's talking about dividing, breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. Back then, it was the Jews and the Greeks. Today, we got all sorts of walls being built up around us by the culture, 
We've got to tear those down. Here, shouldn't be any walls. Should not be any walls. Nothing should divide the true people of God. Are you hearing me? That's why you want young people and old people in your church. You want people who are talkers and listeners. You want, even I'd say, some awkward people. Because every family's got to have some of those. Because God doesn't discriminate on any of those things. He saves the young, the old, the listeners, the talkers, the awkward, the people who think they're too good. God saves all those people. And that's some of us, right? And each one of us is vital to the church being what God wants it to be, vital. I mean, why did Paul even end up in Thessalonica? He's getting ready to start his second missionary journey. And it really all started back when he and Barnabas, they had a little kerfuffle. And one went one way, and the other went the other way. And thus began Paul's second missionary journey without Barnabas. Now, at some point, we're going to trace, uh, in this series, we'll trace kind of that little journey and how it went and God's providence and, and working that out. And it's pretty amazing when you look at it. But here's the thing. Just like Paul, I just, I just actually heard of recently of, of one of my pastor friends kind of losing his, his right-hand man. Somewhat suddenly, his right-hand man had kind of decided to go in a different direction. <clears throat> That's hard. It's hard in any type of position. It's very hard for a pastor to kind of lose their right-hand man unexpectedly, right? But that's, that's what happened here with Paul and Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas was, was Paul's right-hand man. And, and they, had, they had a disagreement, <clears throat> and so they parted ways. But it's amazing when you look at God's providence of how he used that parting of ways to further his kingdom. And sometimes... Um, I think the key for us is we have to keep moving forward. We have to keep, I mean, Paul could have ended up discouraged, and maybe he was for a little bit, and he had to deal with that. But he didn't let that stop him from what he knew God was calling him to do, from using his giftings. So sometimes you just you got to keep going forward, just like Paul. It might be rocky, it might be bumpy, but you keep moving forward. And our theme that we talked about that we're really taking through our life groups last semester and this semester is the theme is stay on mission. Stay on mission. And what more appropriate as we're looking at First Thessalonians. In fact, if Paul would have literally gotten off his mission, he never would have ended up at Thessalonica. He stayed on mission. And we got to stay on mission ourselves. What God's calling us to do as a church with our building our foundations individually and corporately strengthening them, and taking ownership in what God's given us. All that has to take place in God, in his presence. The moment we step out of God's will, the moment we think we can do something without needing God, the moment we think, oh, I got this taken care of, I'm, I'm equipped enough, Lord, we're going to fail. It won't be pretty. We have to do it in God. Of course, we realize that in the broad context, in God. But are we willing to apply that in small areas of our life? Every single thing in God. 
according to what he says, according to his truth. So let's stay on our mission for 2020. Let's keep moving forward. What does he say in Philippians? Forgetting what lies behind and what? Straining, pressing on forward what lies ahead. Let's do that for God's glory. Amen? Let's pray as the worship team comes back up. Lord, help us to be people that acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, that realize that you are on the throne, that you are the one true God. We thank you that you are holy, majestic, amazing, beautiful, awesome, glorious, merciful, gracious to your people. And I ask, God, that you would shine bright on us and shine bright through us to others. Lord, let us be people of your word. Let us be people of your church who serve you, the one true God. We ask that you'd fill us with your spirit to know your truth accurately, to be strengthened, to obey and follow it for your glory. Amen.